our ability to do our job better will come back because of tenacity. Our training in quarters will continue because we're filling those gaps because we're tenacious. So I encourage everybody to be tenacious. Be aggressive when the time's to be aggressive, but always be tenacious. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, this is Weekly Scrap number 65. Special guest tonight is Chief Walt Lewis. He has been involved in the fire service since childhood and comes from a legacy of firefighting, including both his father and brothers. Volunteer starting in 1990, then to urban, then suburban, and for the last 25 years with Orlando Fire Department. He is currently a district chief, and he has taught hands-on or presented at FDIC since 1999, helped create the Orlando Fire Conference to start in 2001, and somewhere in that general area had something to do with the fools being founded. Um, He is humble. He is a continual student of firefighting. So, Walt Lewis, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Weekly Scrap number 65. Thank you, Corley. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here, especially with the uh, guest list that you have. A lot of fun, man. We're going to have a lot of fun tonight, so I'm looking forward to picking your brain. Thank you. Uh, everyone... You need a small fork. Just a small fork. Okay. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions uh, for either of us, please do not hesitate to send them in the comments. And on your intro, did I miss anything? Anything you want to add? No. Uh, just uh, to address to send the check to, I forget. Um, if you wouldn't update that one for me, Fair enough. but, uh, I'm kind of hoping we're kind of limited on the live guests tonight, figuring we're so close to Christmas. I picked this day strategically so that, uh, we'd have minimum interference, uh, I guess from some of my sidekicks. There you go. Uh, there you go. I'm ready for Hannah though. I, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure she's out there somewhere. She is always lurking and ready to throw the curveball. So we will see, um, a hundred percent and, what was I going to say? Oh, this is, you mentioned it. This is the Christmas episode. So I don't, I know you can't see it, but there are Christmas wreaths around us on the weekly scrap for those who are watching us live. So, awesome. Perfect. I'm ready to kick it off if you are. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Right off the get go. You intrigued me when, when, you know, we talked back and forth, email and, and text messages and whatnot, getting ready for this. And I always ask people what they want to talk about and things like that. And you said, I want to talk about tenacity, saving lives. And so I'm going to jump right into that. And before I do, and the reason I'm doing this is because there's a lot of truckies that watch the show. So I looked up what tenacity meant on Wikipedia so they would understand that it means, <laughs> and I'm joking, but in a nutshell, it's the fact of continuing to exist, determination, persistence, or grip. So that is what tenacity kind of means, according to Wikipedia. So tenacity, go for it, Chief Walt Lewis. Um, and it's just my take on a few things. So this may address or may mean something to somebody, but... Uh, my position on the whole thing, we, t- we talk a little bit um, in Mike Heaney's podcast. He's talking about guys being aggressive. You know, I'm, I'm an aggressive firefighter. It, it's almost, it should be synonymous, right? And I think even you said, uh, you know, have you heard of it or an aggressive Marine? You know, they, they're, they're like one and the same, right? You know, but with that, it, it, you're right. I mean, we should be aggressive because we should be good at our job because there's nobody else doing our job. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But where the tenacity comes from is – you see somebody posting aggressive, aggressive. I think aggressive is the act of putting the effort forward, but tenacity is what wants you to be aggressive. Tenacity is going to the classes and learning. It's doing the crawl, walk, run, learning how to do search. Like, again, like Mike Heaney's, like uh, Scott Thompson, learning leadership and you know, working for agencies that embolden that. Um, I, I would love to go there because not every fire department does. But tenacity is 
it's a personal drive. It's a mission that you want to enable for yourself, for your fire company, for your fire station. I like the term firehouse better, so I don't know why I said that. The firehouse, your shift, your crew, your 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 district, whatever it is that you work in and how many other people you can influence, tenacity should be a tenant of the fire service, not just aggressiveness. Aggressiveness is the behavior, but it shouldn't always be applied. Tenacity also gets you behind the books and reading and studying. Tenacity gets you to go into classes or put on conferences so you can host in classes. Uh, I mean, your opportunity to listen to guys, it's its awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be number 65 on the list of people that you've had involved in this, but, you know, following the likes of uh, Bobby Halton and Scott Thompson and Rick Lasky and, and so many others that have been on the show, the beauty for you, my man, is you get, you're a funnel for all these people to come through and pass this stuff on. And then the readers and listeners that get, or the least listeners that get to hear this, get to share that message over and over again, and get inspired. And there's so many podcasts and so many elements out there that it's that tenacity that helps put this all together. So yeah. The, the big message is don't give it up when you've run into those down times and you're frustrated and you are see, you know, your, your frustration saturation level is maxed out. That's what tenacity continues to do is to have you be able to look in the mirror and say, did I do my right job today? And there's those days we have to disengage and have a day for ourselves or some time for ourselves. Sure, and that, sure. and COVID's done that for a little bit of giving us time back to our families and not being on the road traveling or teaching or, or being so engaged with the department. And But there's other days that we've had to be at our department more because others are sick. Right. So it's a trade-off in some aspects, but tenacity has kept us through. It will keep us going through. Um, the fire conferences that got postponed, they will come back because of tenacity. Our ability to do our job better will come back because of tenacity. Our training and quarters will continue because we're filling those gaps because we're tenacious. So I encourage everybody to be tenacious, be aggressive when the time's to be aggressive, but always be tenacious. Always. Tenacity is going to save lives. I love that, man. And, and it goes right in line with probably the number one question that every guest has received at some point or another, whether it be teaching a class or actually on the scrap is, um, listen, I'm in the department and everybody's against me and I want to do this, 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 or this. And it's like that, ten, that tenacity is what it takes to stick through that culture. So I love yep. how that cuts right through to the answer to that question. Well, and you, you mentioned a little bit about being a part of the fools and, that's what helped bring the fools forward. I mean, there was 10% of us in one of my, one of my given agencies before that only about 10% of us that really took the job serious. Other guys are truck drivers or mechanics or fishermen or other stuff. And they sure. came to the fire department for benefits for a day away from their family to have fun. And there were plenty of calls. We walked away from like, well, we tried and they were satisfied with that answer. And there's a good bunch of us that weren't. And and formulating a group and creating almost like a peer network and eventually an organization that became what's the fools. Awesome. Uh, we've encouraged it's good to be good. It's okay to be good. You know what? It's actually not good to not be good. To not be good. To not be good. And I, I had the blessing early on. I forgive uh, it was 98, 99, around that, close to 2000. Chad Rodriguez and Chad Cox and uh, Scott Kleinschmidt and some of the guys in Wichita invited me out to come speak. Who am I? I'm just one guy on a list of six that put together, put a name on something. And I, I had a portion compared to the lion's share of what the other guys had as fault in the fools, but I'll be happy to spread the message and share my love. So I got the opportunity to come out to Wichita. They hosted me and uh, got to have some really good barbecue and food and do a little lecture in a, in a garage. It was really cool. 
and uh, it was a converted restaurant, so it wasn't just a garage. But it was a really cool opportunity. And uh, after the episode, they introduced me to the loafs, the counter to the fools. And I had to laugh. I'm like, who are the loafs? Really? The league of average firefighters. I'm just dying laughing. I'm like, seriously, there's people that are like, oh, yeah, they got a logo. They got everything. Like, if they could put their powers to use for good, you imagine how much better they would be doing. But their counter was the fools. And that was a real deal. That wasn't wasn't just tongue-in-cheek. That was a real thing. They well, you know, they kind of they drew up a little. Sure, they didn't sure. make T-shirts or anything else. They didn't go so far, right? You know, wow. But it's awesome, it awesome to see Mid America Fools. You know, you guys have an awesome logo. Mike Tucci sent me a shirt years ago. It still fits, oh. maybe a little tighter than it used to, but <laughs> it's tight. My, my closet shrinks closed. I don't know if you have one of those. I do. It's behind me. It's behind the black flag. So, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. All right, here we go. We got we got stuff coming at you. Hannah Elliott has already chimed in and said, "Ha." Give me something to ask questions about. So there's the challenge coming right out the gate. All right. Well, she's she's asked a lot of tough questions of a lot of good people. So if I'm able to throw something out that she hasn't covered yet, uh, I'll know I'm doing pretty good. She will will definitely bring her pickaxe and come at you. So we'll see. Uh, Fire by trade. My man, Brian Brian Brush. Brush. Yes. He says, absolutely top top shelf guy there. God bless you, Walt. Merry Christmas, brother. Merry Christmas to you and the family, my man. And Whit Dotson says, the man, with an exclamation point. Oh, it's good peeps, man. So thanks, guys. Thanks for sharing it, uh, being a part of this tonight. Jose Zamora said, ha-ha. So I'm not sure what the ha-ha was for. But we're, we're, now, we're uh, off, now we are off and running. So we're into tenacity. And um, just, right, just, just springboarding off of that, you know, Firehouse Vigilance and the Weekly Scrap, the byline is the never-ending fight against complacency. And so right. I've heard you talk about complacency before, and we've already kind of even just started – just started touching on it, the, the subject, but go ahead and talk about complacency and uh, your your take on its place in the fire service. Well, it doesn't have a place in the fire service. You know, we, we need rest periods, and I'll accept that. But uh, complacency enables failure, and people are relying on us to do our job and do it well. And those people are at the other end of the phone. Now, a lot of times they're calling because they don't know who else to call. They, they don't know to call the cops. They don't know to call animal control to get the cat out of the tree. They call us because we solve problems. Now, some of those problems are a plane into a building where we have a small aircraft crash. We're at 9-11, God bless, where we had a tremendous tragedy, right? right? But it's everything from top to bottom. So when it's COVID and people are sick and scared, they're calling us and we have the answers. And it's tough to remember that sometimes. Now, I'm blessed. I'm a chief officer. Um I'm a battalion chief. We call them district chiefs. Okay. So my job's not as exciting as it used to be. I like the job I got. I love the job I had before as a company officer working with the, with the troops. Oh. Make it a point to prevent complacency in my district by working with the troops and training with them. And I, I try to temper that with the company officers, and I, I give them carte blanche to tell me, hey, chief, could you back off a little? Right. I'd like a day to take it easy with my it. own guys. But I get this inane sense built up in me that I got to do something. I got to do a little training. I got to pass a nugget. I got to reinforce a lesson. Or I want to learn what you're doing. I want I want you to show me what you're capable of. I want to see how long it's going to take. Because as a guy sitting in the, as a commander sitting in the vehicle, none of you guys move fast enough. We're in there like, would you please hurry up? Right. <laughs> but in the real sense, your guys are booking it. You're right. moving as fast as you're supposed to move, right? Now you can run on the fire ground when it's time to run, but we want to be cautious on that. That's where you miss the holes in the ground, the power line down. 
the how many counts on windows, the size of the dog in the backyard, all the problems that can cause us issues. So the complacency, if we allow that to fester, will dominate. And there are plenty of places, I've worked with them, I've worked under them, and I try not to work over top of them, that enables complacency. Even as a fill-in, when I was a district chief roving, I would go to all the firehouses. I made it a point when I was on, on another shift, as the roving district chief, I went to each of the stations that were under my command that given day, and I talked to the company officers. Like, listen, I know you've got a regular boss, and you've got a certain way of doing things, and this shift is the way it is, and the fire department SOPs is exactly what we operate under. But this is my thing. I want you to understand my things because today you're my responsibility. Now, I'm not going to tell you and I'm, I'm not going to run your firehouse for you. If you want me to, I will. But I don't need to. Right. You're doing a good job. Keep it up and allow me to help you do the things you need to do. But if I need to step in because you're being complacent, your crews aren't training, they aren't doing a good job. If I show up to a scene and you guys aren't wearing gear on a gas leak, you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to and <clears throat> when you're supposed to be uh, – Working your incidents. If you're not wearing your masks and your protective gear on your COVID calls these days, then I'm going to start running the show for you. And I won't enjoy it, and neither will you, but it's got to get done. So that's where the complacency comes in. And, and it's easy to do. It's human nature. Sometimes we want to take a back seat, take a look, you know, and relax. Absolutely. There are those times. And, and, and I'll, as an early company officer, man, I was all excited. I'm going to train every day with my guys. I'm right. going to do all these things that I said I'm going to do. Right. And I started doing it. And I did district chief come to my firehouse. And, and come and come get me out of the office as I was planning an exercise for the day. I'm like, hey, well, come come with me. What do, you, what do you got? And we went to the TV room, and he made me sit down and watch TV for an hour just to give the guys a break. Just to give them a so, break. So at, so at the end of it, he's like, okay, uh, sometimes they need to take a rest. Right. Pump your brakes, cool down a little bit. But we went out later in the afternoon. I'm still training. No, absolutely. And um, it, it's a hard lesson to learn. It's a very hard lesson to learn when you're wanting to go get it and you're in charge and stuff. And so, uh, yes, it is. Um, I love downtime, but every, it's it's if there's this fine line between everything is downtime and earned downtime, and that's the key. Is you when you earn it, man, it's the greatest thing on earth. Amen. You know, we didn't get hired because the beds are comfortable and the food is good. We got hired to serve the community. That's it. And sometimes we lose perspective. Sometimes we forget about that. Now, I've spoken about this before, but to me, going to calls is the most important thing. Yes. I'm a very close second is training for those calls, Preparing, being prepared. Yes. Now, if you know which calls you're going to, you could just train and be ready for those and you're good to go. Right. What's your next call? Right. Exactly. Hey, hey just give me the give me the crystal ball and I will train on it right now. I'll be ready to go. Right. I'll have my cape on, mask, fly right into the scene. But given that, complacency is always there. There's always a piece of equipment. Now, I'll let you in a little secret. Being on the other side of the curtain, if you don't find time for you to do something, they will find time for you to do something. They being the inspectors. Right. Hey, help us with inspectors. Uh, a chief that wants you to wash his truck. Sure. Uh, an administrator that wants you to help move boxes and, and take apart furniture. And none of that is relative to what we're supposed to be doing. So if we do stuff that we're supposed to be doing, we're going to be engaged. And uh, one of the company officers I worked with had a fantastic idea. Just something so simple. You sit every dinner in, kitchen, in the kitchen, right? Now we got pictures all throughout the kitchen of fires, and, and we were doing pretty good for a while. We need to get back into it of picking a fire and talking about it. And some of those stories just don't get carried. One of the guys, we were talking high-rise stuff. He's like, hey, hey, Chief, how about on, on one of the columns or two of the columns, we put a little something on there about each building? 
We just put the address. We can maybe even put the name so that it comes on and off because those changed every now and then. But we put details about the building that are not going to change. I'm like, that is genius, dude. Yeah, no. That's awesome. Yes. We're, so we're going to work on that afternoon year. We're going to get on there and put those on. And every time you come back to the kitchen and you sit down and eat dinner, there's a little bit of information about some of the high-risk businesses. We have the two biggest problems in downtown Orlando, nightclubs and high-rises. Building fires, you know, commercial buildings for sure, garden apartments, houses are two biggest risks are high-rise and nightclubs. And I don't want to have a bad day with you. Either one, yeah. There's no doubt. So I don't want the complacency to set into my office and to me. So I do my best to find something each day to do a little something. Um, I I do thank my personnel I get to work with. I mean, they don't work for me. They work for the Lando Fire Department. And truly, I should work for them more than they work for me. Right. But they they serve the citizens. And my job is to support them in doing their job. Oh, absolutely. I love hearing that. So the cool thing about my job is I get to drive fast, watch people work, and sometimes participate. Right on. <laughs> but yes. for the most part, it's uh, it's administrative. So it's supporting them, making sure they got all the right gear. When they're missing something, they, they shouldn't go more than a shift with, hey, chief, I can't find my, I, my gloves got taken, and I don't uh, supply. Uh, let me get all supply. The guy there is super nice. I'll get a hold of him. We'll make it happen, you know. So there should be no reason they are scared to come to my office and get the support they need. Love it. So – on the same vein and continuing on, I, training is uh, – we're already, we're already touching everything. So it's just like as we move through this, we're touching it all. Uh, oh, I'm like an abstract puzzle, dude. I'm all over the place. <laughs> we're painting broad strokes, but we'll keep hitting it. And it's uh, – I have a belief in the three R's. So my three R's are realistic, rigorous, and relevant. Now, you know, I think if you keep training to those three things, then, then you, will, you will achieve buy-in at the minimum from the guys that are doing it. Or at least minimize the checkout factor. So, but uh, I just want to talk to you about training and are we setting ourselves up for success? You know, and and go with that. What I know you're huge on training, so I just want to kind of pick your brain and go deep. Absolutely, I'm going to echo sentiments that have already been carried. I've heard in your podcast and some of the others out there that absolutely, if we don't train to as realistic as possible, we're failing because we're setting unrealistic expectations. Um, Mayday training. Good buddy of mine, um, Jay Blake. He's a he's a battalion chief up in Montgomery County, uh, Maryland, and passed on the simple concept of when you do RIT training. You do RIT training, right? Sure. So when you do the maneuver to rescue the firefighter out of the building, uh, how many guys do you engage in that RIT training? I mean, as many as possible. Sometimes it's the crew that, that's in there that rescues them. Sometimes it's the actual RIT crew, et cetera. But right? yeah. But, but but sometimes it's only a handful, right? Yes, it's four, yeah. one or maybe two eight. Crews, right. One or two. It's the station's worth. Right. So, you know, there's so many, so many times. So, hey, buddy. So that's my son sneaking back through. Right on. So, you want to say hi real quick? Spotty. It's my, it's my son, John. So, All right. All right. Thank you, John. Got your right. charger. So, <laughs> yeah. So let me let me stay on track with this. Uh, we at RIT training. Go. So RIT training. So when you do the RIT training, you've got only a, a small group of guys. We just recently did a high-rise training drill at the fire academy in a four-story drill tower. And the, our training division did the best they could with making that four-story drill tower as much of a scenario as possible. The drawback being is I didn't have even my full alarm assignment for a high-rise. And in calling for a second alarm, they're not showing up. Right. It's time compressed. Time to play pretend. Stairwells. Yeah, lots of pretend. And, you know, people having to tell you, no, you can't do this. Right. I hate that. Reverse <laughs> yes. engineer this stuff. Reverse engineer it. Some of the best classes I've taken is when the hands-on instructor reverse engineered 
what are we trying to teach the students and how do we get them to there so they make the decisions along the way. Mm. So, you know, I'll give props to Eckerd Fire Training. They did a thing up in Jersey. They forced the door and going in to teach to reinforce the guys to go in and pull the ceiling. They had sheetrock up there. Guys pulled the ceiling and they had Excelsior and straw up in a cage above the what the hallway they built out was so that there could be fire up there to give the guys the concept. Do they go in? Do they stay out? What do they do? Call for a hose line. Decision making. Decision making right there. That's right then and there. Need. Yes. Because you can teach me how to start an IV. You can teach anybody. You can teach me how to pull a hose line. You can teach anybody. Teach me the why. And now I have to add some concept to it. Now as a chief officer, I expect the firefighter to do what we ask. But if it goes outside of my scope, I don't see what he sees. I need him to understand, him or her to understand why they need to open up the hose line on the heavy black smoke that's pushing out. Because it's going to protect everybody else. And, hey, chief, it's getting nasty in here. My company officer hasn't joined me yet because he's still filming the uh, the 360. Now, we don't run an outside command, to give that caveat. They're coming in to join up and continue in the firefight. But whatever it is, if we don't teach our people to understand the whole why, and we only give them a little bit. And the downside is any class you've taken, any class I've taken, there's this much content. And as the days go on, you remember this much. Oh, yeah. And And this this much. And if you remember the core, you're doing pretty good. And you tend to remember the beginning and the last, right? So that's why teaching classes or being taught how to teach classes, you push, hey, I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to teach you. I'm teaching you, and this is what I taught you. So you have the summary, if nothing else. Right. People come in and out. They miss little parts. They're not taking, you know, they've got to take the phone call from the, the spouse or whatever. They always get that distraction. Sometimes they miss those things. And I see it with roof guys. Guys doing roof classes. They get up there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut the roof, we got the roof, cut the roof. Great. When you cut the roof in the turf cut, you end up uh, with uh, white powder coming up. What are you going to do? Um, then I'm going to cut over here. I'm going to, whoa, really? Is that what you're going to do? So understand what kind of roofs you're going to be on. If your agency allows you to go cut on lightweight concrete roofs, have at it. Great. Then you know the technique, but understand it's going to take you a long time. time. You got to dig all that stuff out of there. You're probably standing on Q deck. That's tack welded to the metal bar joist. That's suffering from the contents of the fire. So if you're a great crew, that's cutting fast with awesome equipment and getting the depth you need and raking it out really fast, have at it, brother. But if you're not, you're probably standing over someplace that you don't want to be when ultimately you're done because the building's either going to start failing, the boat trust, the uh, bar joist is going to start to warp. You're going to start having issues, and you're standing on the top of an insulator that's not going to give you the heat signs that a wood deck's going to tell you. Wow. And this isn't this isn't the, the gospel of Walt Lewis. This is studying from guys that cut roofs on a routine basis. Roofs, yeah, yeah. You know, the last time I cut the roof was when I needed an attic hole in my house. All right. <laughs> you know, it, it was was getting up there to fix the the funnel vent, but. Um, you know, it's, so if we don't re- reverse engineer our training drills, go all the way to the beginning. So adding what Jay Blake put into that rich drill. So he talked about, all right, make sure you use enough people. But if nothing else, break it down to that basic skill so that when you have just that basic company, four people, eight people, however many you can throw at this thing, add every other element you can. So we tend to rescue that person. We turn the air pack into a harness. We drag them out. We drag do immediate traffic. We, we get them out. We tend to not travel and then have as many encumbrances getting them in and out as we have to. And then we get them outside. What's the next step? What's the uh, next thing? That- usually we drop them on the ground and say, hey, we won. High five. Right. Yeah. Win. We did it. Score. We did it. Make it a W. Yeah. Do you get them out of gear? Right. That's it. Yeah. You're, you're spot on. All right. So they fell off the second floor catwalk. 
and landed. And, and it's not so much the derobing, pop the pop the air pack, slide it out of the way. Meanwhile, you got the guy C-spined if you want to put him in the C, you know, CPR maneuver and then end up taking him out of the coat, sliding him out and legs first and then take him out of the bumper pants. Now, a friend of mine, Basil Ibrahim and his crew demonstrate that on social media. And, and I love social media for some aspects. It, it really shares some great information. But I hate that you can get on there and say, hey, I love dogs. And people get on there and go, you're an asshole because you love, you you love cats. Right? <laughs> I didn't say I hate cats. I said I love dogs. Right. But, you know, from just that simple solution, I know I'm abstract. I'm going all over the place with sure. this. Bear with me. Hey, trust me. This is scrap. Yeah. You can go wherever you want. All right. Well, I love it to scrap. That's why all I keep right. feeling like I'm fighting. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> is, uh, is that with with his procedure showing out and it's been shown several times and there's other avenues where they show get disrobing that firefighter now add the element of the firefighter having broken limbs or serious injuries and you can't get, disrobe them in that maneuver what's the other it's cutting them out of bunker sure. gear and that's what jay passed on was like have you ever tried cutting bunker gear wow no yeah, now, i never even thought about it got with a vendor nearby they supplied us some great sets uh, some of it was the really large and the really small, but now that it's got to go out of service every 10 years, you can find those pretty easy, and you just get one or two sets. I started bringing around to the firehouses. Hey, guys, you've ever cut bunker gear to get a guy out? No, no, no. Oh, it's easy. We'll do this. We'll do that. All right, give it a try. Let's see how it works. And then the great ideas turn into be about bad ideas. Right. And then, it, you know, the other things, these simple things, you know, a little seatbelt cutter, um, a seatbelt cutter works good for cutting the material and then exposing what's your next step, where if you got a harness inside or okay. however it's all built. But just one of those little things, because of reverse engineering the drill, you realize a whole gap in what you're not going to be able to get. So let's go to the bad situation. The guy falls off the second floor catwalk, falls off the roof, lands into an area, has to get made aid, rescued, RIT team gets in, brings them out. More people have to be involved because, well, we don't get to train with that, but Add that element, more people involved, get that guy outside, and then we get into the vapor lock of how do we get him out of gear. We start trying to rip him out. And it can be a good plan. You can have a good plan. That guy has a good plan. But right. if you all have the same good plan, none of them are going to work well. Right. They're all working against each other. So having our ability to set a standard, want to meet that standard, and provide, because ultimately we should be doing it for ourselves. Because every citizen we can save and rescue in a house, every ladder we can throw to do a VES should be done for our own benefit um, yes. and the capability of having to rescue a fellow firefighter. Wow, yes, I love it. All right, catching you up. Carl Koffler said, hello, gents from Wyckoff. I don't know where White. He didn't specify where Wyckoff is, so if it's if it's Florida. That's one of the best know. little towns in Metro New Jersey. Oh, okay, so, there you go. Yeah, Merry Christmas cool. to all. Be safe. Love your message, Walt. Uh, and then Scott Thompson said, reverse engineering, start with the end in mind and why. And he left off the third one, which is, if not this, then what? Then but, what? Then exactly. What? That's it. Contingencies. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I love Scott. He's great. Man. One of my um, favorites. You I talked got, about I, the rig. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm walking on you. Go. No, you're good. You talked about the rigorous, the relevant, and the realistic. And, you know, there's always the crawl, walk, run. And in one of them, you even add sprint, right? It, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, and there's the basics. You got to build the course basics of all those things getting there. But if you don't understand the why, you can't make decisions when those contingencies need to be applied. And I like that we have a minimum standards for firefighting, that we have a minimum number of hours. The drawback is we still don't cover enough. And, and I'm, I'm kind of going out on a limb here. It really deserves more attention. And for the volunteer fire service, man, what a drain. Yeah, what a, what I can't a rough, imagine. 
what a rough challenge that's got to be to have a home life, a work life, and then still give the volunteers. So a guy like Carl and Wyckoff, they're a volunteer fire department. They're great. A lot of great people up there. And uh, my champo hails from Wyckoff. So okay, okay. his brother John and, and some other great people up there. So um, having people that have to devote their time to get more educated, but there are so many aspects to our fire service. So one, one, one concept that's out there that I, I think we could kind of better subscribe to is we almost almost maybe need to thin ourselves back down to just firefighting Firefighting. and, you know, reduce, you know, get down to realistic expectations, what we need can and do for our community. And I hate to say that as a chief officer, you Mm -hmm. want to get as much funding and support and elements and value our people. We got to show that our people are always engaged and always ready. This is our value. Check it out. We do all this. Right. What is too much? Mm -hmm. What is too much? You know, and if your community can support that and and uh, you you can do a lot of good stuff, then then awesome. But if you can core down and be focused on a specific uh, I got the opportunity to train in Thibodeau, Louisiana, not too long ago and uh, some really great volunteer folks there. And they're fairly busy and they got a big community. I would expect other areas of the country to be a paid department there, but they give so much of their time. And because their community supports them so well, they take it very serious and they give it back to the community. And I'm sure there's hundreds, if not thousands of same agencies elsewhere in the United States. And thank you from a fire service member. Thank you for doing it that way because it's the tenacity back to that message uh, that's going to serve our community the best. And, And a little secret, we're all part of the community. Mm. You live in the community. Where do you live? Yeah. Do you live in more? You I live do. in more? I do. Okay. So you're serving your own people, oh, right? You're serving your own family. I purposely live in the city of Orlando because when I'm at work and I can't protect my family, I am fully confident that Engine 14, whoever's assigned there any given day, will take care of my family like they should. So, And it's not a slight against any other agency near me. Sure. But I purposely live here because I have a little bit of influence on who those people can be, how well they train, all the inferences. And someday I'll retire, but I'm going to have confidence that before I left, I did a little bit to try and make it a little better. And hopefully it stays that way or, or hopefully my message is worth it. But, you know, back to the same, same thing with training is make it worth their time. Whether Absolutely. it's volunteers, paid, you got a three-hour segment. I hate the aspect that we train to a timeline. Oh God, I was going to bring that up actually because we just went through an eight-hour tech refresher. But I don't want to sidetrack. But yes, no, uh, dude, it should be competency-based. Okay, if, if after eight hours I still suck at this, I need nine. Yes, or ten. Yes, but you know how many times do we do it? We you know we're bad for it. We're ISO and, and accredited driven. You know we've got some aspect, you know evils or uh, demons in that. Sure, um, crown jewels that we have, and, and I'm proud that we've achieved those. But they sometimes force our hand in having to do stuff on a timeline and not competency-based. So a company could come out and really do a poor job or in the same uh, – the, the high-rise evolution I spoke of earlier, only one company was the first in-engine company. Everybody didn't get the chance to be the first in-engine right. company. No reps. Uh, yeah, the, the rotation on the reps, yeah. Yeah, and, and mm. I'm pretty sure that if I got put in the charge and, and the opportunity to make those big changes, there'd be a crowd of people that came to my office, picked me up, and threw me over the fence sure. <laughs> for making those kind of changes. Like, what are you doing, right, man? We used right. to do it only once, but right. now we got to do it three times. Right. And the guy bless our trucks. We don't have an even match, so they got to come out and come out even more. Right. But the guys that like training, when we got to do, hey, we need some fill-in units to come in because we got, we're down to those exceptions. We got to fill in the last couple of companies, make sure they go. But we need a couple to backfill for the other units that have already gone. We need to meet the numbers. We got plenty of officers that go, yeah, I'll go again. Yeah, yeah, I, I got a new guy. I got yeah, this. I want to try this yeah. out. 
I love those guys. Yes. I love them. You know, and guys and gals. And right. so please don't, you know, we got some great uh, personnel in our agency. So I love when those people step forward and want to engage because they just, one, they made it easier for me to schedule. And two, they just uh, strengthened their capability. Absolutely. Love it. Um, Jimmy Meyer has chimed in and said, the Treasure Coast Fools love Walt Lewis. Uncle Jimmy. Thanks, oh, buddy. There you go. Um, I wanted to touch uh, some, so many things I want to touch on. One was like the hours, hour requirement on training and things like that. But I'm going to move right to methods of triage. Um, you've, you've been through some incidents that have, 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 uh, taxed triage abilities and things like that. Not in the theoretical, but in the, in the realistic, uh, how are we doing with our training in that regard? in a time compressed, limited information, limited resource environment when it comes to like the, uh, Hey, we developed this, this triage ability behind this desk here. So go out there and use it when it, when the, when the real shit hits the fan. It's uh it's lacking. You know, we do need a base plan to work with mm-hmm. whatever triage it is. You know, we use star triage. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's a good core to work with, but again, realistic expectations, you know, Dallas, uh, Las Vegas, um, Aurora, Colorado, Orlando, Florida, they're all in a very unique uh, uh, fraternity of cities that have had mass shootings. You know, our, our friends to the south that had it, um, and, you know, sadly at the school, sadly, yeah. you know. So um, with those those scenes, if you study those and just, just look at how those laid out, there's no one way, one way in, one way out. And every training drill I've gone to for, Rit, or excuse me, not Rit, we're off Rit, uh, onto triage is we've always come in from one direction. Hey, anybody can hear the sound of our voice. Come here. I'll give you a secret. Yeah. I'll let you know a little secret. That siren that was blaring on the way there, that's the voice, that's the you. Hey, anybody come to the sound of my, because they're going to find you. And they're going to find your firehouse. For Orlando, um, they found Davis Odell and his crew, Engine 5, two doors up from where the pulse is located on orange Avenue. And they knew that firehouse was because as they were enjoying their nights, they would, the the crew would be going out on calls. So it was hard not to notice where the fire engine was. It's two doors up. Right. So when they were getting shot at and they needed a safe place of refuge, they had to rest. They had to run to the fire. Some people ran to the fire. Some people ran the opposite direction. Some people continued on up the street to the, to the hospital. So to go with the concept that everybody's going to be in one isolated location, it, it derives off of a of an incident that's isolated to one location, a plane crash or where, where uh, Sioux City, Iowa, plane tumbles, cartwheels into the cornfields, and then crews are rolling in and they're coming across the tarmac and it looks like a children of the corn scenario where everybody's walking out and it's like oh my god and they're all bloody right. and it's horrific right. and it's a line of people. Where do you start? Right. Do you go to the far left? Because there's still going to be a far left somewhere. So there's sure. going to be some other people left over. So, And it's one or two people sufficient? I doubt it. Yeah. It wasn't for Pulse. It wasn't for Vegas. It wasn't for – when you got mass numbers injured, look at the trends in, in the Middle East and see what Israel does. See what other agencies do that have those horrific incidents on a frequent basis and how do they manage it. Right. You know, the, the white helmets in Syria, God bless them for doing the work they're doing. But do, do it in a realistic sense of having a widespread event and you're going to have to do your best. You're going to have to figure out what the borders are of that event and ultimately encapsulate every ground right. square inch within there. Move in from because there. Because it's not, yeah, you know, it's not just bodies, it's body parts in some cases, right? So that's going to be part of the scene and that's the long term. But this is also part of the training that we go into and, and, and teach our people 
we just teach them go out and if they seem serious if they're 32 can do then they get a green if they're not then they get a red or a yellow okay how about we go over the 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 serious injuries that these people are seriously going to have but realize that it's a yellow it's a partial amputation but the blood is stopped and the victim's still breathing fine and they're trying to save their wife that's on the ground and the wife is the critical one and it doesn't look like it's outward signs so Whatever um, we're trying to teach our people, make sure it's realistic and sets the right expectations. Sure. You know, there's, there's plenty of training companies out there that have realistic mannequins that would love to be involved in these. You got, you got acting agencies that love to be a part of this because another frustrating part of this is we do these drills every airports have to do them every three years. Uh, some agencies do them every year or so often. Um, and then we try to find explorers or anybody else willing to be a victim. And mostly we tend to fall back to CPR mannequins or anything else we can find that'll be a victim. Yeah. And we're going to read a card, go back to, I'd rather have three nasty, bloody, realistic mannequins laying on the ground that give me the thinking through. And then I got to treat that accordingly, pass it on and let every crew rotate through in the skill of having to triage these victims along with others. And I'll throw one out there, get your retirees to be a part of it. Those people didn't leave the firehouse and decide they're going to go fishing and everything else. Some, not all of them, some of them would love the reason to come back and they would love to do it probably for free. And they probably been on some calls and they probably passed on a little bit of knowledge. Right. You're not wrong. Yeah. Why don't we capitalize on them? They're out there, you know, so you can put the all call out to any retiree agency you got under your agency or, you know, in your County or your fire district or agency, we got a great group of fire uh, retirees. Um, sadly, um, Chief Tootin passed away, but his wife, Jeannie, still continues it. His son's on the job with us. And every month they do a luncheon and they do a really cool job with keeping in connection. And a lot of these guys have great stories, great things, and they've been involved in a lot of these scenarios. Oh, yeah, awesome. past. That would be awesome. So, you know, you, you got 15, 20 of them that would be happy to volunteer out. And, it, hey, it's, a, it's an MCI. Yes, you can put them six to ten not, feet away from each other. No problem. That would be perfect victims because they know exactly how to act because they have the experience with it. Now, the one thing you'd have to do is let them stay all mangled up, you know, the eyeball hanging and the arm hose, and let them go to the luncheon after that. Right. Like, Look what happened to me, you know. So, but have fun with it, right? Uh, Jasper Miller has said, is it possible that we aren't teaching firefighters to figure things out? teaching a mechanical aptitude rather we get stuck on doing only the skills people have been taught. Yes. That's a great question. Um, nearby agency, Lake County, I don't know if they still do it, but on their hiring test, they had a toolbox and in the toolbox was a dozen tools and they would say, all right, and they would have you get six things. So it wasn't like, you know, a a process of elimination. You found out the plus sign screwdriver, (laughs) the plus sign. Terry. Yeah. So you had to figure out, okay, and they gave you nuts and bolts and they gave so a little bit of mechanical aptitude. And was it a fail? Not really, but it kind of gave a sense as to what does this person know? Right. And we can blame that on all kinds of things. You know, why don't their kids play video games? My son's been playing video games now. When I get done with this, I'm going to play Fortnite with him for a little while. Why? Because that's what he likes to do. Sure. So if I force him to do the things I like to do and I don't reciprocate, I'm not doing him any any service. So, but is it the only thing he likes to do? No. Uh, when COVID started in the first couple of months, you know what? We're going to learn, learn all the tools in the garage, and we're going to rehash how to put a screw in a piece of wood and nail a hammer and, and hammer and nail and, and go over some life skills and change a tire and do all these, you know, and build up so that if my kid does go to a firehouse, 
because that's what he wants to do in his career. I'm not going to force him, but if he wants to go, awesome. But I want him to be ready so that he can be mechanically inclined to some degree. Right. And it's sometimes not their strength. I get it. That's not going to be his strength. But my daughter, she's got the mindset. She's two years younger, but she can figure stuff out. She's <laughs> she's pretty smart. I'm scared. But she's God bless. She's just like my wife. And uh, she's beautiful and intelligent. So um, mechanical aptitude and what firefighters are lacking and stuff. The, the trick is in the complacency time, the downtime, that's where we could. But as a firefighter, if you lack that, I, had a con- uh, I was contacted recently by a prospective lieutenant on our list and said, hey, chief, I feel like our department has let us down, hasn't prepared us to be promoted. I said, all right, I'll give you halvesies on that. Our agency doesn't put on a program to teach them what they got to do for the day-to-day and feel like they're in charge. But 50% is that your, is your fault. Right on you, yeah. When did you not go to a class, a seminar, ask somebody, realistically write down your shortfalls and address them by going to people that you trust and not just one. Don't go to just one. Right. Go to several because just one doesn't give you the right answers. When I went to college 100 years ago, the big push was for critical thinking. Right. And it was at least three sources. Do exactly that. We should do more of that these days rather no, than no doubt. Oh, Facebook. Facebook said, you know, not so much. Go to those sources, learn as much as you can, and then ask the other question. What's something else I need to know? Sure. That's a great question. And I, and I, and to address uh, Jasper and what he's saying there, it's just um, it's real easy for guys to fade into the background and say, I'm not, I don't want to be involved. You know, the, the step. Yeah, it looks like a junior high dance. Right. You know? Yeah, everybody's up against the wall as, as who's doing yeah. the skill. Okay, the youngest guy is forced to do it. All right, he got it done. Let's check that box. Let's move on. Next. Right. So, Corley, as a, as a teacher, when you've got the crew, you've got a shit's worth of crew. Who do you have demonstrate the skill that you probably think very few people know? Very few people know? Yeah. Who's the guy that you pick out of the crowd to have demonstrate the skill? Do you pick the senior guy or the most junior guy? Man, this really comes down to is the senior guy comfortable in failing? You know what I'm saying? Oh, well, well, well put. And so, but I will grab the senior guy if I know he's comfortable in failing. So, but if you're not sure, if that guy, you feel like he's going to lose face or you're going to lose his respect, do you put him in that position? No. No. So I, I try not to do that as well. Uh, sometimes I'll have those senior firefighters step like, hey, I'm not afraid. I'll do, you know, but typically they're a little fuzzy on it or they haven't been seen it, but they, they've got the, oh, yeah, I got the. I'll always pick the most junior guy. I'm like, listen, man, I, I ain't calling you out because I want to make you look dumb, you know, but I want you to be my guy to help show me. And then a couple of them surprised me. Because yeah, they in turn like, hey, did you even know about this? Look at that. Right. So the guy gave you know gave the whole crowd a show and it worked out good. But uh, I try not to disgrace or you know discredit those guys in this way it, it, because eventually that new guy becomes the next up. Sure. And there's another new guy, so he's out of the out of the barrel, you right. know. And the other thing you can do is is step up and do it yourself, which sometimes might be the scariest uh, option of all. So, For sure. And and that's where sure. you have to say, hey, I don't know, but I'm going to do it right here, so we'll all learn together. Well, the biggest fear in human nature is uh, the fear of confrontation. You know, everybody says, oh, I'm afraid of public speaking. So, well, that's a derivative right. of the fear of confrontation, right? People don't want to fight. You know, they don't want to get involved. They don't want to be a part of it. You know, you can see a horrific accident and see the cause of it and talk to those people six months later. And they're like, nah, I don't want to be involved. That's another case in point. But we need to get over that. And as firefighters, you have to because you got to talk to people for all kinds of reasons. You shouldn't be afraid to be in front of your peers, to demonstrate that, hey, man, I'll be willing to admit I don't know this. Show me what we got. Yes. 
and it's culture. And then, and straight up, uh, we'll go back to Chief T, which as Chief Thomas, that's my, uh, me and Hannah Elliott call him Chief T whenever we discuss stuff. So Chief T, when he talks about culture, it's all about setting that culture where failure is okay for learning purposes. Failure is okay in training. In fact, it's the purpose. Um, Absolutely. Uh, Robert Ramirez said, Chief Walt is a leader and asset to the entire fire service. He makes everyone around him better. Absolute force multiplier. Great guest. Merry Christmas, brothers. So a little bit of hype there for us. Uh, Thanks, Rob. You sat down there, brother. Uh, he's, he's one of those big guys with the Parkland shooting. His okay. agency uh, challenged that one, and uh, they, got a, they got a success on that one. So those guys really, really performed for the I people that needed imagine. to get out there. Yeah, I can so, imagine. Yeah, outstanding work by them. Kyle Schwabble, Schwab, uh, I'll, I'll go with Schwabble. If you only know someone, if you only show someone how to do something and don't let them get their hands on it and walk them through it, you're setting them up for failure. Amen. Yeah. Amen, brother. Not South Carolina. So I hope things good. Uh, Garrett Rice said, Chief Bruno, quote, what if we just teach them? Which is such a great quote, man. So right Amen. there. Amen. Yeah. So, um, right on. Uh, I'm going to hit you with a couple things now. We wear a lot of hats. And we've already, again, all of my, my notes here and questions to ask, we've already, like, touched on and, and shellacked. So some of these are redundant, but I do like to, to throw them at you. Um, all the hats we wear now, especially in our careers, basically, I, I hired on in 97, and you've been going at it since the 90s. Uh, how do we focus back on what we do? Namely, we fight fire. No one else wears that hat. Does that make sense what I'm asking? Absolutely. So, so but there's nobody else doing confined space rescue. There are companies out there that do hazmat. It's typically uh, recovery companies, sure, right? Sure. Remediation, so, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Swift, you know dive rescue. Water, right. Right. So, the, so, we, so we do need to be in all hazards. So, you know, I, I talk out of one side of my mouth saying, oh, fire, fight, fire, fire, fire. But that's our core mission. We can't negate our core mission to be good at these couple other specialties. So um, one thing, and it's not a popular opinion amongst the cheap world is if, if we truly want our people to be good, you got to stop training them on duty. You're going to have to go to an off duty status and you have to pay them for it. Fair labor standards act says that's going to happen. So, but if you expect people to perform at their highest level and the full capabilities of what you expect, it's going to cost. Now we've always gotten away with it because there's downtime. And right. we can have guys train and we can do two hours of confined space this week and we can do a month, you know, we can do a dive rescue next month. You're taking yourself to great risk by eliminating other times and other competencies to try and fit it all in when it doesn't. So you got to pick what's really going to be there. You got to prioritize what you got. The firefighting has to be there because we have to be good at that. And to expect to only be good and train when we go to the fires, you're going to fail. Right. Right. If you expect the training division to teach you what you need to know for only for your job, you're going to fail. Hey, if you again. don't, I'm sorry, cops. I'm walking all over you. No, you're no, preaching no. so good right now. I love it. Go. So, and, and, and I, I said it before, one of my favorite phrases is if we don't now acquired structure training, I had a tragedy way back early in my career, almost 20 years now. Uh, but I'm thankful our department stuck with live fire training regardless, and the state of Florida didn't shut it down. They built a program to teach people how to do it safely and to ensure that it's followed properly. But if we don't do acquired fire, acquired structure fire, you're failing in the sense that you're not practicing. Nothing beats a house fire like a house fire. Right. If our burn building catches fire at any point in my the rest of my career, we will have that mastered. I will know exactly where that water needs to go to put that building out that's made out of concrete. Right. But it's the house fires we need to go to. We need to look at the uh, 
exhaust tubes, the vent tubes, you know, the ship pipes, as Mike Haney put them. There you go. Uh, you know, we need to know that. That build, burn building doesn't have that. Right, right. It doesn't have realistic windows. It doesn't have the same count of windows on one side as it, you know, it has the same count of windows on one side as it does as the other. It doesn't give me the size of scenario. It doesn't give me the read for where I got to throw my ladders and what size of ladders. Yeah. Being able to, all the things that realistic training brings us to. So if we don't, if we fail from our core mission, we're taking great risk and the people at risk are two. It's not only the citizens, but it's us oh, and our sanctity. Yes. I love that about your message, man. I love that. It's our sanctity because we're going to go to jobs that are going to fail. Regardless of how good we do, they're going to go bad and people will die. But you can walk away with them and you can live through them and you could survive through the agency if you know that you did the best you could with the equipment you have. And we were ready and ready in the best aspect of being just mentally and physically prepared. If you fail, you will carry that burden for the rest of your life. And God bless. Some people haven't been able to carry it as long. As, uh, they, they made that life a little shorter than it needed to be. Sure. Good nightmares. You know, Plain and simple. Yeah. And it's sad. So as an agency, it, you need to look in a, as a chief. And I love that Scott Thompson does for the colony what other fire chiefs should. There's very few fire chiefs that really, really John Boyd said, you can either be somebody or do something. Love it. And how many of the mass instructors that are out there that are really carrying a solid message are fire chiefs? Now, in the fire chief world, there are fire chiefs teaching other fire chiefs, and, and there are really good ones out there. But there's 35,000 fire agencies in the world, in the United States, right? About that much? I, 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 how I many of those? Know. Maybe about 35 fire chiefs are really carrying a good message. Yeah, you know, Mark Bayshore teaches great messages. He's a Highland County fire chief, but he's from the PG County area. He, he puts on some great stuff. Um, my fire chief does a really good job in sharing messages. He's just really overwhelmed, but he's involved in a lot of stuff. Um, was in the past. Uh, Scott Thompson, chief Bruno, what an example. He set the tone, set a culture in his agency to advocate for what he did. But ultimately our core is to serve the community. And by doing that, we need to be prepared. And being prepared helps us be good at the job. So when we walk away with a loss that the families tragically died, that we, it wasn't because we couldn't catch up to the hydrant, that we didn't have water in the truck, that we didn't we couldn't get our pack on in a right, timely fashion, out, yes. we couldn't force the door. We, we failed right. at core functions. If that's your agency, I challenge you to fix it. Dude, there you go. There you go. There's the finger and there's the challenge. And that, that brings me, um, me and my, there was a corporate at station one yesterday. We were sitting and talking about, uh, again, we'll talk about chief Thompson again. He comes up over and over on the scrap, but that's fine. He was posting in one of the engine company resurrection things about standards. And there, there was these sheets he was posting. Yeah. Ramagus stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, but on one side it had like, um, it was just a, a company, uh, company standards evolution of like deploying a hose line to a front door. And it was it was awesome. On one side, it had like, here are the standards that we meet. These aren't even up for debate. So whenever you as a company officer, you pull out the sheet, you can say, here's what we're going to do, crew. And they're like, um, do we need to have our packs on for this? Do we need to be fully bunked? You know, that kind right. of thing. It's like, no, here's the standard. It's right here. You know, we're on air, uh, packed up, ready to go. And here's the time frame. And I do it. I love it. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to try and make my own. And so Thank go you. from there. So Thank sorry. You. Um, no, not at all. The training officer is coming at you. He said, Chief Walt, as far as the stigma of training officers only teach because they can't do, how do we as training officers change that mindset? Do. 
One word answer. Is it get- <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. Do. Do you know? Don't if you if you're a lazy slug and you're hiding in the office, then you're earning that name. Show up. Go to calls. Show up to the stations. And if and if you're not sure about something, be have the humility to learn. But bring the techniques in. Teach the people. Get the forcible entry doors. Get the buildings that are going for demo. Even if you can't set them on fire. Get the acquired structure so that the crews can do non-destructive and destructive training on the buildings. Maximize the opportunities. Get the vendors to come out and show what the new products are and say, hey, how do we get this on our inventory? Take the initiative to figure out where your problems are and come up with solutions. And spitball the ideas with other people that you trust. Get a think tank together. Don't call it a committee. You'll never get anything done. Right. You can call a work group when it comes time to do work, but get a think tank together and come up with ideas. And think of the big, you know, I love the uh, moniker, you know, small minds talk about people, great minds talk about concepts. Be a great mind. Talk about concepts. How can we make this better? What can we do? Who can we peg? And put the all call out there because you'd be surprised at who some of your resources are and who will step forward when the opportunity presents. But don't let them down. If you let them down, they will stop showing up. So it's going to be up to you to also put in some time. And a training officer is not just Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, if they're a good one. They're 24-7. And that's the dream is that they're coming up, you know, coming in on Saturdays and Sundays and doing training. But if you have the opportunity to flex your time, but you're going to have to be realistic with your family too. Sure. So sure. If you're a single guy. Awesome. That means one day fishing that you're not going. That stinks. You know, fishing's a good time, but you're not going to give up your kid's birthday or anniversary. You better not. Sure. Because family's going to have to be there after your career, but you want to be a good training officer. Do. Do. <laughs> one word answer. I may steal that for a meme and say, if you want to be a good training officer, do chief. Walt Have at it. All right. Have at it. I, wish I, I wish I was smart enough to come up with all this stuff. Uh, yeah. Scott Thompson said, thank you. Walt Garrett Rice said competency. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's talking about exactly what we're saying. Do um, Lena Baxter said, as a training officer, you must show them that you aren't afraid to do what you are teaching. And with all the stuff you were demanded required to teach, that is a tall order. So I'm not saying it like it's easy. Um, Chris Coleman, the on-duty training in smaller, busy departments is such a challenge. This was a topic I am working on now. Great stuff, Chief. Great seeing you. Merry Christmas. Thank you. I'm, I'm taking notes because some of these great comments are coming through. So it, it jogs a little idea about something. So I love the, the viewers and, and the stuff they bring um, almost as much as I love the guests. So I really do appreciate it. Um, we got some quality people on there. I'm, I'm there's no doubt. Us tonight. Uh, toughest lessons you have learned. And I love this question because uh, I like to put it in this way as like, if you could go back in time and tell a young Walt Lewis a truth that you now understand and he would laugh at you, like, what would that be? Yeah, well, I can go in so many different directions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's the old joke, oh, I wouldn't marry my first wife. <laughs> you know, well, if, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have my first son. So, you know, that sure. uh, I wouldn't trade that out for anything. Um, man, oh, man. If there's, there's a couple things, I would, I mean, I, there are a couple of regrets in life that I, that I would rather have had done. And by not doing those things, it's put me in the path to where I'm at today. Sure. Uh, but if I could still end up here and having done those things, I would have joined the military, probably the Marine Corps. My dad used to advocate, uh, join the Navy or the, uh, Air Force. Cause you always had a bed to sleep in and food right. to eat. But, uh, he served in the army. He was in the hundredth infantry, served in world war two. Um, 
pretty cool stuff. And uh, I feel like I, I should have, my sister served, God bless my sister, Michelle. She's served in the army, but uh, I did not. And there's a special cod, a special sense amongst the military members that are now fire service members. And it's a certain honor and they, they deserve it for sure. And uh, I kind of wish I was a little part of that. Sure. And I realize that I don't, I don't get, I don't earn that honor and I respect them for having done what they did. So there's, there's one, um, and there's one moment in life where I should have stepped up and been the bigger or the better little brother. My brother was a lieutenant for Passaic Fire Department. Many years ago, he called. It's like 11. It's like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. The phone rings, and I get up and I said the stupidest thing. I go, somebody either better be dead or seriously injured for me to be getting this phone call at one in the morning. I pick up the phone, and it's my brother John. And he's going, "Hey, Squirt." We had a bad night in Passaic. We had a fireman out Toronto got killed. Just want you to know that I'm okay. I ain't got time to go through it. I'll talk to you later on. I love you. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I felt like a jackass yeah. for saying that to start with, but I felt even worse when later on, a couple of days later, I realized I should have been in a car or on a plane to be there to do what he did for me some years later. And I wouldn't ask for him to do what he did later, but he did it because he's just that kind of guy. Right. Um, you know, and that's having loving people in your life. And I got a bunch of them, you know, my family and my, my siblings and so forth. But uh, I should have been there for him. But he forgives me. And, uh, you know, he still buys me a Christmas present. So I guess we're even by this point. But a regret in life I'll always wish is I can't fix that time. I can't redo it, you right. know, is, is to be there. So out of those two things, if you're thinking of military service and it really fits, it molds you in a direction that uh, I've seen some really good people come out of when they weren't so good going in. So sure. it might be a good opportunity. And then uh, be there. Be there when it matters. No, I like that. You got me going down my own memory lane. So. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, you're good. So I'll, I'll, I'll break off that and go to, is there a book or books that you think that firefighters should read? You want the list or the top ten? Um, so I got my uh, I got my pen ready. I got my note post-it notes ready. Right. So here we go. Right. I'm sure you, I, you know, we talked in the earlier part is uh, that you'd be on on a couple books. And I, some of them are the ones you mentioned before, and they're and they're great books. Um, I mean, just the, the core simples. Uh, you know, uh, John Norman. Sorry, they're all right behind me. I, I should just turn around. John Norman's. Uh, Company officer's leadership or company officer's uh, handbook of tactics yeah. is just a really good soup to nuts A to Z book on firefighting. Yes, that cuts a lot in there. Hits on the different tactics. Uh, you know, a lot of good stuff. Scorth has got a bit of a northeast flavor, but he does a good job of trying to stay neutral and and put in a lot of why and how things work. Not so much you should do, but oh, understand yeah. these are the things to do. Right. So good stuff. A good core firefighting book. Um, verbal judo is a good book. Uh, it's really helpful in being able to diffuse situations. If you're going to be an officer, if you're going to be a company officer or a chief officer, I think it should be required reading. Solid, okay. uh, you know, and I've, I've done audiobooks for the last couple of years only because when I sit down, there's a button on my butt. And only because I'm talking is that I wouldn't be asleep right now. So I even eat dinner standing up half the time. My wife laughs at me, <laughs> but, uh, 
and sitting down to read a book, I have to do the audio books and, but listen to verbal judo. And then the other one on combat mm. by uh, Colonel Grossman. I love that book. I've referenced it, uh, re- listened to it several times or, you know, farm those out to other, other personnel that are advancing their careers. It really helps with, uh, understanding. I wish he spent a little more time towards the back end when he talks about conditions, white, red, yellow, gray, and black about, you know, the thought processes, but, uh, to follow up with that one, um, firefighter resiliency. Right. Um, yep. By Rick George. You had him on here as a guest too, right? Yes. Uh, early yes. on. Very early on. I love Surf Dog. He's an awesome dude. He's helping me out with the Orlando Fire Conference coming up uh, in February. Um, him, Bob Carpenter. Carpenter. And yeah. I always forget the third guy that helped him put it together. I apologize. Um, give me a second. Yeah. I don't know if you hear me, but it's because. I always remember Rick George because he was on the scrap, and I forget the other two authors. So yeah, I, I got to give him the honor, but uh, without wasting time on your podcast, without having to dig it out, I should have done that before you're good. the show started. I apologize, guys, but great book. Check it out. It's very, very simple. It's it's skinny, and uh, like Surf Dog says, you know, he's a firefighter, so it's got big words and lots of pictures. Right. Um, so, but those, and then uh, a simple one. Um, it's your ship. It's your ship. I love it. It's your ship. You know, it's it's a little over 200 pages. It's an easy read. And and the core principle is, okay, how do I help support you? Because you found the problem. You're the one that's got to live through it. Right. So, you know, it, I love Abershoff's uh, position on that and what he did for the Benfold. Um, you know, Jocko's stuff, his podcast, and Extreme Ownership. Um, I like the uh, – Oh, geez, I should have wrote it down because I, I figured, no, nah, I'll remember it. But his, um, <laughs> the, the leadership book that they did, um, that he and Leif Babin did. Extreme uh, or dichotomy or? Dichotomy. Dichotomy, dichotomy yes. of leadership. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So that's another good one. So, I mean, I, I could look back through my reading list and just start spitting them out. But, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. You know, I don't want to bore the readers too much, but there's a lot of good ones out there. There's a period a couple of years ago that uh, I was leading, listening to a lot of leadership podcasts and reads and everything else, and I had to quit. I just had to stop because I knew I could only influence my sphere. Right. But so many of these lessons to be learned were on, were falling on deaf ears higher up, and I knew these people needed to hear it, and I, it just frustrated me. So that frustration saturation level really peaked. Uh, so the tenacity had to engage. I had to look back at my own notes and remind myself how to get through the bad leadership times. And uh, that helped out. But reengaging in those leadership books um, helped out. So um, I couldn't awesome. say I am a good, I couldn't say that I am a good leader, but you'd have to ask the people that I get to work with, but I try. So and that's my goal. Is always I, to be good. I can only judge off the amount of comments on here that, that, that have, uh, Saint kudos to say that I will say I feel confident in saying that you are so. And if um, I can look at the list of books that you suggested people should read, then I know that your influences are strong. So I'm blessed to be around a lot of great people. Absolutely, That's- and the fact that you say that right there. So, all that being said, we have on the weekly scrap the five questions for firefighters. Yes, these are five questions I throw at guys who are passionate about the fire service and I get their opinions and the answers are strictly your opinions. There are no right or wrongs and the points are completely arbitrary assigned by me. So I already already like teased out earlier one of the answers, I think, because but I, I didn't give it away. So we'll see. But all that being said, Walt Lewis, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Bring it on. All right. Send here, it. We, here we go. Send it. That's the best answer ever. 
Um, number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? <clears throat> I, from listening to your other podcasts, I really dwelled on this one for a while. But to me, it's arrogance and ignorance. I got to pair the two together. And on the sense that uh, arrogance is having that position that I am always right and I don't need to hear your side. And ignorance is I'm too dumb to know that I don't know the all the answers. And I could go way in depth in both of those, but arrogance exists at a lot of levels. It's in the the early firefighter. It used to be Tom Brennan used to write about the two D five year veteran who, you know, he'd, he'd seen enough and didn't need to be taught anymore until he got humbled. And it was somewhere around the two to five year mark after that onset of bad behavior that they got humbled and truly started to realize there's more to learn. But that arrogance also exists in the company officer that now I'm a company officer. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do reports. I don't have to do dishes. I don't have to do anything. I can sit in my my lounger in the office and I can do whatever I want to do and not train my people. And hopefully they don't have a bad day to reinforce why they should be doing what they need to. And hopefully their people escape and make it a better day somewhere else. I love that. it It exists a lot in chief officers in the sense that, and, uh, something we're trying to change, but, in the sense that I don't need to train anymore. I passed the chief's test. I'm good to go. <laughs> now, Not the case. I'm trying to think of the quote, which is about ignorance and arrogance. And the only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. I think it was Mark Twain. I was trying to find it here. Yeah. Oh, Albert Einstein said it. The only thing more dangerous than ignorance is arrogance. So that's what I wanted to throw at you is which one do you think is more arrogance? Arrogance puts you in the position where you can try and justify to yourself you can be ignorant. Ignorant is usually just you don't know better. Right. And sometimes it takes the humility or the hard lesson learned to get past it and realize your position. But the arrogance, you're in a position where you feel like you're impervious and it's dangerous. I like it. I do like that. No one has ever brought up ignorance and arrogance on question one. And so that is max points for question number one. What is number two? What is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? The future of firefighters, the guys we got coming into the business now, the guys and gals, you know, um, there are so many outlets to achieve knowledge. And it's been said before, you know, we're, we're surrounded by, we're swimming in knowledge and starving for wisdom. Yes. It can be gained. It just sometimes has to be tempered. So it's asking the questions, having the humility you need to learn or bringing up the, the hard questions. But what I see out of a lot of the youth in the fire service coming in now, and when they're properly motivated and supported is what I want to you know finish that up with is uh, a lot of the new firefighters we got coming into the Orlando Fire Department have Instagram and Facebook and online surveys, but there's all these fire conferences. Yes. You know, years ago, it used to be FDIC and Firehouse Expo. Yep. That's it. And then Firehouse Expo branched out and they started having a couple more and FDIC did a couple more and stuff. But now you can look on a calendar and every yes. week there's a different conference somewhere. You can throw a rock and hit a quality conference. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yes. And, and you can take an arrogant position of like, well, who are these guys that pass on something? You know what? Every big dog started as a puppy. Yes, sir. I was a puppy at one point and I ain't a big dog, but I'm willing to learn. And this guy's got something to pass on. I want to hear it, you know, and maybe it fits, maybe it don't, maybe I can use it as a plan B, but a lot of the youth in the fire service, they're getting so exposed to so much good stuff and so many outlets and so many ways to connect that they can absorb this information faster 
they don't have to be at 10 years to be a good firefighter. They can genuinely soak this stuff up, train, practice, talk to these guys, take avenues of training and stuff, and really develop and cultivate. And these are the guys that are going to be taking care of me when I'm at home, not working in the firehouse anymore. And I'm excited that they'll be better prepared than I was at their point in their career. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so summing it up, the youth coming in and the exposure that they have available to to channel that passion. And it, uh, Lynn Baxa chimed in and said, I know a few great young firefighters that got very discouraged by arrogant line officers. And so both of those answers kind of tie right together, that arrogance crushing those young guys, and then the future being those young firefighters being able to channel that through through what's available so man good yeah excellent um and just hit, hitting on that for just a second sorry to throw you off and drag us out but um when i was a roving officer i'd get phone calls every once in a while like hey man i don't appreciate you training my guys and teaching them other stuff <laughs> hey man i don't appreciate you having me work with idiots that don't know their job at a basic level right so if you're too arrogant to do some training or if you're a fellow company officer and you see those guys squandering and not getting the, the information, maybe shoot them a little something, you know, do it respectfully. Maybe go to that other officer. Hey, hey man, these, these guys seem like they really jam up and they would do, you know, maybe soft serve by getting a little extra training. And if that person just doesn't want to engage, don't let those people flounder. Do a little something, see what you can do, some sort of network or mechanism that you can try and help them out. And then uh, maybe you can help them get a workaround. Love it. Dave Pruitt said, agreed. I am so encouraged by the number of young guys that are seeking out the knowledge, many of them on their own dime. It is a joy to be around their excitement. And that's the truth, man. It's like, yeah, it's hard to knock that. So I'm moving on to number three. This is the one I think you gave away earlier. So I'll see if I'm right. Best rank or position to be in, in the fire service. Now, this is through my experience was company officer. Uh, for 10 years, I got to work on some of the busiest engine companies and the slowest engine company. Um, but all of them we trained and then all of my good people. Um, they weren't all the same people. They weren't all fired up. They weren't all fired to go out training, but they still did it. Um, they were all proficient. Um, but company officers where you see it's like being a paramedic and giving a diabetic insulin or, or D50, you see an immediate result. Right. That's the company officer. The chief officer is like you giving them a medicine. It's like an antibiotic. It's going to take a take while. A while. I love that analogy, man. I love that. All right. So for the for the EMS nerds, I'm a paramedic. Am I, you know, and I'm okay. Well, I'm well. I'm a paramedic. Um, so it'd be like a support group. But it in those analogies, it's uh, you see over time the development and truly the people I get to work with. I have six guys I get to work with. Six great company officers, and uh, we have some little personnel changing happening right now, but. They're all different, but they're all mission-driven. And I love that because I want to be mission-driven. I don't have to waste my day chasing people down and where's this guy and doing this and how come you guys are late and what did you do? I don't have to waste my time with that. They're mission-driven. So I'm, I'm enjoying more the chief officer, but it's taken six years to, feel to get the results. <laughs> to really feel it, to be happier. Right. Um, but uh, whatever rank you're in, it's the best one that you, while you're there. Make it that way. Make it that way. I like it. The answer, the correct answer, the only correct answer is company officer. I'm a battalion chief. You're a district chief. Um, same same rank, different name. But, yeah, the the, the, the best answer is company officer. So, Max, we'll, we'll, we'll start a uh, peer support group. <laughs> That's it. No, it's 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 a it's a uh, different dynamic. And I think Eric Saylors, he was on uh, back in the, the 20s, I want to say, maybe the 30s of the scrap. And he said, you know, when you're a firefighter, you take care of the problem. 
And when you're a company officer, you take care of the guys that take care of the problem. And when you're a battalion chief, yeah. you take care of the guys who take care of the guys who take care of the problem. And it was just, it was such a beautiful analogy for for the, the moving up the ranks. That's so. really, that's really cool. Yeah, I like that. But the correct yeah, answer, yeah. Max Points, company officer. Go ahead. Sorry. The only other thing is, as, as a battalion chief, the, definitely the, the tractor there is. I don't have an aide. Some agencies, you know, you get somebody else to drive along with you. Sure. Dude, I make some funny jokes in the cab of that truck, and there is nobody no there to listen. to listen, yes. Nobody. So, so I missed out on that. Who I don't understand, which I have a, a you know, the, the iPad, the MDT, whatever you want to call it, sitting right there beside yeah. me. I'm driving the rig. We got a multiple alarm or whatever dropping, and I'm on the radio. We got to get some aids. Amen. 100%. Before I wrap, that, before I wrap that chief's buggy around a telephone pole. We, we have a floating district chief because we have Kelly days, so the staffing the way it is. Okay. And sun, moon, and stars align. Uh, we'll have that extra chief, and then we'll work together. And uh, some of my best friends are in the same rank, so we had that as opportunities. It's pretty cool. So we were driving around, two chiefs in one buggy. And when we're going to a fire, we ended up doing paper, rock, scissors. And it wasn't so we could run command. The loser had to run command. <laughs> The winner got to get in gear and go forward. I got you. I got you. Yes. And, and that was the winner. Uh, number four of the five questions for firefighters, the best advice you, Walt Lewis, have ever received? Uh, there's a ton. Um, so when I was getting promoted to district chief, it was uh, – I got told in March it was going to happen in April, so it led into FDIC before it happened. So as I'm going up there, I figured I'm in a giant pond. I'm going to ask as many chiefs as I can find and get a nugget. So I took the opportunity and, and having the blessing of being a part of uh, the, the teaching group that they're the, the list of instructors that are there, it, it, it gives you a, a access to a lot of people. So I took advantage of it. Talk Chief Salka, you know, first and last out, good leadership, demonstrate oh, yeah. by example, you know, know your job. Sure. Uh, Chief Norman, you know, value the guys, lead them, you know, be the boss you want to work for. Uh, Kai Rieger, uh, you know, just do your best, you know, always try to do better than the last, next, you know, the last day. Just a lot of good sage bits of wisdom, but probably the best piece of wisdom I got was from Rick Lasky. Okay. Uh, who, doles out lots of good wisdom. And one of his pieces was uh, a good chief knows when to leave the room. So every now and then you finish up with dinner, the time happens and the troops want to be able to just talk. Now it shouldn't be the wrong kind of talk. So let me be clear on that. Sure. And if it looks like it might go that way, then you need to stay you in need the room. You need to be in the room. Right. Right. But prevent that from happening. But he was very you know, clear. They, a good chief knows. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I don't mean to walk don't leave the room. No, you're, exa you're exactly right. You're, you're proving my point. So you just kind of read the tempo. And if you have to stop the conversation, stop the conversation because it, you don't want to go inside because you don't want it to be a problem. But you, um, good chief knows when to give the guys their space. And that's more or less what he's saying. You know, like that yeah. chief that came to the firehouse that one of those first months I was a lieutenant and put his arm around me and maybe sitting down and watch TV to give the guys a little breather. The, give him that grace. You know, you need to see when your troops are. When the horses are running hard, they can only do it for so long. So I love I it. That was pretty pretty wise. No, Lassie's given a lot, like you said. So great, man. Dude, okay. I, I think that's four max points in a row. I'm not sure if that's ever happened before. Final question, which is heavy fire, heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? The nozzle. 
and it's not for that and it's it's certainly the knob is the job right the search saves the one the nozzle saves the all so in putting the fire out stops the problems and protects everybody else sorry i'm writing that down search saves the one search saves the one the nozzle the, the water on the fire saves them all saves the all i like that obviously saves the all Man, I'm coming up with all kinds of bumper stickers. I'm going to have to make a bunch of memes to put on the Instagram page now at this point. So uh, there it is. The five questions for fire. That might be, I don't know. I, I, I may have to go back and watch 65 episodes to see if anybody's ever gotten max points for all five. Because they're completely arbitrary. I've listened to a bunch, and you've got some high-quality people There's on there. No doubt. I've heard you dole out max points for a lot of good, and for, certainly earned. So, um I don't, does Max Points get me like D bucks on Fortnite? What happens there? It might get you like a hat or something, like a snapback of some sort. Tell you what, so. send me one. I'll trade you. I'll trade you one back. Okay, there you go. A- easy win. Uh, yeah. Doug Machowski said, "Great quote." Marco Isom said, "Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. And hopefully, a much better year in 2021, brother." I think we're all on page with that one. Um, and Carl Kofler said, "Wow, very profound." I, I do love it, man. The nozzle uh, says the all. Um, there you go. Uh, back to you, Walt. Best place to contact you, reach out to you, uh, get in touch with you if they want anything from you. Um, my humble abode. My home number is 321-228-3087 if you want to call. Um, I prefer like regular hours, like up until <laughs> 11 o'clock Eastern. Right. Um, text is best because you know how life is. And then uh, the six initials for Orlando Fire Department, Walter John Lewis at AOL.com. O-F-D-W-J-L at AWOL.com. So it's good stuff. Um, I've been throwing some pictures on Instagram, just got some thinker things, and it's the same thing, O-F-D-W-J-L, uh, Instagram. But I'm no Instagram wizard. Every day I'm learning something. My wife laughs at me because she's <laughs> teaching me stuff. She's got a fantastic wedding floral business, and uh, she's lived and learned and uh, helps me out. But uh, um, the last, I mean, the, the easiest way to contact me is those messages, those, those ways. So. All right, I'm doing something completely selfish for me. Right, First, I'm going to say, coming up, uh, to finish out the year, uh, in a few days we're doing Jim Moss. We're talking about Firefighter Success and his new book that's coming out, and we're going awesome. to keep diving into it. That's on the 28th, uh, December 30th, to bring in the new year. Uh, David Hineosa is coming on to talk about training and his mindset. And then January is grand-packed. We've got uh, Daryl Liggins, Dave Mellon, Garrett Rice, Kurt Isaacson, James Gearing, uh, January's packed. It's going to be great. Uh, things yeah. I want to say. Um, the scrap is looking like really pumped. Uh, I do not do ads or sponsorships or talk about stuff on the scrap. So, but what I do want to throw out there to anybody watching is I wear blank t-shirts. And so if anybody wants to send me a t-shirt to wear on the scrap, I'm not saying I will wear it, but I'm saying if you, if you send it and I think it's cool, I will wear it. So what size? I am an XL, but yeah. All right, so there you go. There's my first one. I'm just throwing it out there. I, like I said, I'm not saying I will wear it. I'm just saying if you, if it's cool and I like the thing, I will wear it on the uh, on the scrap for what it's worth. That's me just getting some free swag. I think you might be getting some full shirts here soon. That, that, now, that would be awesome, especially considering the person I'm talking to when it comes to the scrap, uh, the fools. Uh, there you go. Weekly scrap yeah. number 65. Uh, Scott Thompson said, Walt, I sat through your mentoring class at FDIC in, like, 2002. Merry Christmas, brothers. Yeah, I, thank you, Scott. I don't think there's better better praise than that. And uh, 
Paul T. Dansbach said, outstanding, Walt. Hey, thanks, go. Paul. Thank you. So, yeah. Uh, There's a bunch so, coming at you. Lots of no, no, stuff. not at all. No, great stuff as usual. Merry Christmas. Be safe. That's from Doug Michalski. So sorry. I don't mean to re- go. No, not at all. I, <laughs> I wish I could see the thread, because I, but I'm glad I don't, because I'd, I'd be like, squirrel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, no, I'm very humbled that uh, for one, being considered to be part of the show, especially with some of the great people and you got some more great people coming on here soon. You know, Daryl Liggins from Oakland and James Gearing, great friend of mine, um, and Kurt Isaacson. And I mean, some, some really high level players and you got, Hina you know, name, right. Too. So that's impressive. I'm, I've been working on it. Cause I hear he'll, good. he'll knife. Good. Yeah. The knife punch. So. so I'm excited. I love listening to it. And, uh, I try to advocate to the guys. It's, you know, it's a it's very philosophical. I love Mike Walker's show uh, that he did a while back. So thanks for doing this. Um, you know, there's like, the reason for the new firefighters getting to be better is because of stuff like this. And I appreciate you making it what it is to help them be better. Well, thank you for taking the time and spending your evening with me, uh, going down rabbit holes and chasing squirrels, which is what we do here on the scrap. Everybody that watched live. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. And thank you, chief. You got it. And Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the weekly scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.